Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello and welcome to Sports Weekly. I'm your host Ayaz Memon. This week again, we've got actually a very diverse portfolio in our program today. We've got the New Zealand England Test match. We'll do a bit of a preview there, leading up, of course, to the World Test Championship between India and England. We've got loads of action from football. There's lots of tournaments happening and some exciting, some quite sensational developments there. There's also a preview of the F1 coming up in Azerbaijan. And the French Open, we've had some early matches being played the first couple of days. And uh, of course, there's a major controversy also. So all that in our show, but without much ado, let me introduce my companion in all shows, Mr. Fantastic. Uh, he's come here with a bag full of his own opinions, ideas and questions. Welcome to the show, Mr. Fantastic. Thanks, Ayaz. Pleasure as always to be on the show here. And yes, you're right, we've got quite a lineup and quite some controversies to talk about. But before we head on to any sports, I have a question. And this is literally developing as we speak. But what are your thoughts on Naomi Osaka's pullout from the French Open? It began as a media boycott, but now she's just saying she's not going to play anymore. Well, it's a very vexing situation, if I must be honest, Mr. Fantastic, because I really don't know what will it culminate in. You're right. It's not just the threat to boycott the press conferences. She's pulled out of the tournament. And after that, after she pulled out of the tournament, we've had all the other Grand Slam heads sending her a notice of sorts. Well, in a, in a kind way, asking her what the problem is, can they help her, etc., etc. But being quite firm and saying that if you continue in this manner, then the implication is that you'll be fined consistently. And the fine, she won't mind because the fine may be meager, 15,000 US dollars or something, which uh, Naomi Osaka can well afford. But it also means then you have to keep pulling out of those tournaments. And then finally, it'll get on to the women's tennis situation entirely, not just for the Grand Slam event. So I think this is becoming a very, very serious issue. Now, the, the fundamental point is this. And this is something which has polarized not just sports fans, but I think anybody who's interested in how the media operates and how public figures, celebrities fit into the media or the media fits into what they do and how they react to it. So, Naomi Osaka's biggest problem is that, and I read her note she put out, post her pullout, in, in which she's actually quite conciliatory. You know, she says, I've got people in the tennis media who are very good people, I'm good friends with them. And she says that she didn't realize the implications that her decision might cause and the controversy it might generate. So she's taking time off for tennis. What it means is that she'll probably mull over what she's done, ruminate over it and maybe come back with something else. We don't know as yet. But her biggest issue was that I'm an introvert and I've got certain mental health problems. And when I sit in front of this, in the press conference, in front of an inquiring media, it's almost like an inquisition. Then it just leaves me completely phased and I don't think, I'm putting words in her mouth, she's not said it in so many words, that I don't think I want to be part of that. Now, when it becomes an issue of mental health, obviously it raises serious concerns because the mental health of athletes, much as of everybody else, and we know now how important this has become in, uh, in human existence. And, you know, mental health is not something that can be scoffed at and glossed over, and we can't say, oh, ha, 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 she earns millions of dollars, what problems can she have, or something like that. And we've had the issue earlier of uh, Andre Agassi mentioning in his book uh, how he dreaded uh, facing the media and how he went through trauma and depression and stuff like that. So there is that aspect. 
But there's also the other aspect, which is that as a public figure, how much do you extricate yourself completely from, you know, it's a very interlinked world. So I'm just giving you a hypothetical scenario. If Naomi Osaka is playing and the entire media decides not to feature her because she doesn't want the media to feature in her business. So all newspapers blank out her matches. No television channels show her matches. That will have impact on what she does. Her endorsements, uh, her own sense of self. Is her greatness, is her expertise reaching out to thousands and millions of people across the world or not? It probably won't. And therefore, will it affect her adversely? Probably will. In fact, I certainly think it will. And then there is the other dimension. Look, at the end of the day, when you're in the public space, people want to know more about you. I want to know if if Naomi Osaka had a you know thriller, five-set thriller, and she's won or lost a tiebreaker, last point, in the balance, game in the balance. I think everybody has a right to know what went through her mind when she won or lost. And not just the post-match interview which is done on the court, but in some depth and detail later. That will inspire inspire millions of young players who are growing up to, you know, how they approach sports going ahead or tennis going ahead. I think that's really one of the issues that needs to be addressed. And I take the point that sometimes you are asked very mundane, inane, sometimes very mean and nasty questions during press conferences. I think the player concerned has the right to just ignore them. I completely agree with you there, Ayaz. But I also think that, you know, as a public figure, like you rightly said, she is obviously in the limelight and her fans are because she's a public figure. And by refusing to speak with the media, her fans are also deprived of knowing a little bit more about what goes on inside the mind of a champion like her. And while it's all difficult and one can completely empathize with her situation, uh, maybe there is a middle ground to be found here. I think the middle ground is that you answer what you want to answer and you ignore the other things. You know, I mean, yes, it it requires a thick skin, but that's the only way out. I mean, you can't have a situation, look at it from the administrative point of view. You can't have a situation where some players decide that they will not attend press conferences at all. And some will say, okay, we don't mind. It'll be more chaotic and confusing than what situation she is fighting against. So I think the best course of action, according to me, is yes, it's an obligatory thing. It's a mandatory thing. You go in for the press conference. There are some silly questions asked. You don't have to answer them necessarily. Nobody is arm-twisting you to answer all questions. You can answer the questions which seem sensible to you. And that's about it. Look, I'll give you an example. It's a little, I'm stretching it a bit. But imagine there is a corporate house, there's an AGM or a meeting like that. Even a guy holding a single share is entitled to ask questions of the CEO or the managing director or the chairman. Now, there may be in that audience of shareholders, some complete basket cases who will raise all kinds of hullabaloo about how the company is functioning or not. But, you know, you have to take that in your stride and you answer it the best way you can if you want to or ignore it. But you cannot, even that one person who is raising a pertinent question has a right to ask. So I think that disseminating what happens on the court is being done through television cameras. At the elite level, everything is covered live. You might argue, why do I need to know more? I've seen the match. No, I think people want to know. People want to get into the minds of athletes and find out why they did when they did this. I'm not talking about, you know, what wax do you apply on your hand? You can obviously ignore such questions. But I would want to know when you played that point, what was going through your mind? How did you reach out and make such a great, glorious forehand cross-court shot? Or how did you miss that dolly overhead smash? Or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. 
So as a journalist, how do you react to something like this? I mean, what what would you recommend uh, other journalists try and achieve or and even, you know, as a communications team, maybe at the French Open, what would your advice to them be? Well, I think the role of the media cannot be just delinked. You know, this is a very interlinked world. Yes, with the arrival of new media, elite athletes, celebrities, big ticket politicians can reach their audiences directly through social media, you know, through Twitter or Insta or any of these and say, why the hell do I need anybody else as a medium to reach out to my own fan base? But I think that is a very short-sighted view, in my opinion, for the growth of the sport, for the sustenance of the sport, for the righteousness of how sport is played. I think there must be a certain impartial interlocution, if I might put it that way. Now, I know I'm putting an onus on journalists and fellow journalists, not all of whom can be impartial or are impartial. And therefore, this this is an area which needs to be kind of tackled because you can't have a referee in a press conference say, OK, you will ask this question, but not that question, because then that will be an encroachment of on my freedom to ask questions. But... My freedom to ask questions is also, it cannot be an imposition on the subject. So if Naomi Osaka does not want to answer my question for whatever reason she seems fit or deems fit, that is her right. That is her right of freedom of expression. So that's fine. In my opinion, she should not put a blanket ban and say, I will not attend any press conference. You might have some wonderful things to say about your game, your opponent, which actually builds up the sport further. And that, I think, will be is in peril if players take a stance like this. I mean, some of the greatest players have been fantastic uh, speakers at press conferences. You know, from Martina Navratilova or Chris Evert to Federer and Nadal. And some guys can get prickly. Some guys can be funny. Some guys can be diffident. That's all part of the game, so to speak, of a press conference. But I think it cannot be a situation where players say that I will not attend it. In our political life, we are facing this situation across the world where a lot of the politicians are saying, to hell with you guys, we're not willing to talk to you. And that is actually causing a lot of damage because the information that possibly could be of value to people is not reaching them. It's only what I want to tell you that is going out. Absolutely. I mean, one is the on-court persona of Naomi Osaka and the second is the off-court and together is what makes her the public persona that she is. Well, let's hope that this is not a trend that is getting broader and wider in that more and more people start to follow it, more and more public figures especially start to follow it. Nonetheless, while this was brewing, there is still some great tennis happening and we've already in two days have had one of our biggest upsets, especially in the men's draw with Dominic Team getting knocked out. And Sasha Zverev had to already battle through a five-setter, whereas Roger Federer had a cakewalk of a three-set start. So good stuff happening on the court as well. It's amazing to see fans back in the stands. And it's starting to feel a little bit like the good old days where things looked a little normal. We're also going to have Somil Arora join us as usual now. And uh, Somil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mr. Fantastic. Really felt like an honour to sit back there and listen to your takes on that, Ayaz. Just such a polarising issue, this one in the world of tennis today. Yeah, it is. It is, Somil. And we haven't heard the last of it. I must say, I mean, just to kind of add a little bit there, I must say I do feel a lot of empathy for Naomi Osaka. And I'll tell you why. As a professional journalist, a practicing journalist, and I've been around for 42 years, I've seen sometimes that press conferences can become circuses. 
and that's what you don't want that is what pisses off people that is what sometimes causes fear and dread and even the athletes look like they're not just superstars but they look like superman or superwomen on court but they might actually be quite fragile off the court when they are faced with a barrage of questions which sometimes or quite a few times this extends beyond what may actually be necessary to take the event forward or the game forward so yes one does feel for that and therefore just to add to what i've said earlier i think there's need for some introspection within the media also it's not only a one way situation that hey how can she just take a stand that she's going to boycott what do you think we are there for we also have a life to lead no that's not the point the point is also that there must be some self correction within the media too well let's hope these issues resolve themselves sooner than later now um, moving on ayaz there's quite a bit happening in the cricket world as well you know the second phase of the ipl has been announced and well it's been a complicated route to get here to say the least but do you think it's uh, the right decision has finally been made well right or wrong has been decided i think by the rupees 2500 crore loss that would have happened to the bcci had the second phase or the second stage not taken place the second half of the tournament but you you mentioned about the complication i think it we haven't yet seen how complicated it will get actually you know i mean you might have the second half of the event yes that will certainly happen but who all will be there or not there is the issue so going just by reports that have appeared the australian players who played in the ipl have just reached back australia you know i mean they reached australia 15 days back but they were in quarantine so they've just emerged from quarantine and are meeting the near and dear ones their families etc if you ask them today they are not i think in any frame of mind to come back and rejoin the ipl though it's still about a couple of months away or longer the english players may not be able to make it at all because uh, they've got their own domestic season which is going on and after that they prepare for the t20 world cup and i think uh, the head honcho of the england cricket board ashley giles has already mentioned this a couple of times that the priority for the english players will be their home season and then of course playing for england in the world t20 then there are the west indian players you know there's the caribbean premier league which is going to start and it overlaps with the dates that are possible for the second half of the ipl now you know i think the caribbean's premier league might be pushed into a situation where they cut down on a few days rejig their itinerary because the west indian players want to come here it's not going to be easy the logistics of it is going to be quite tough on the uh, governing council of the bcci of course what might ultimately matter is that money matters so those who are saying no today when they realize that they're missing out on a heck of a lot of money they might say yes tomorrow we don't know yeah makes sense and even with the world t20 with the venue still a bit uncertain we're not sure if it's going to happen in india and if it doesn't happen in india where is it likely to happen what's happening now where the venue for the world t20 is concerned is that the bcci asked for one more month from the icc remember the world t20 is an icc event and india was the host country but india's situation vis-a-vis the pandemic is improving i mean the situation in the country has improved dramatically in the last 8 9 days but you know whether we are equipped to hold a tournament like this and what if a third wave strikes there are too many imponderables so the bcci has asked the icc for a month to be on surer ground failing which i think and that seems the most likely scenario because i'll tell you why it it also makes a lot of sense failing if india doesn't host it it will go to the ua and that might actually help the ipl also because players from all the countries will want to assemble there in the uae to acclimatize to get used to conditions in the uae and they'll say okay if that's the case let's go a little earlier and also play in the ipl because it gives you competitive practice of playing rather than just practicing in the nets 
So that might actually help the IPL that all the players from overseas might also be able to join in if the World T20 is being played in the UAE. Because you don't want to be going there in the biosecure bubble in quarantine, then coming again to India and going through the same routine again. It's quite uh, demoralizing the biosecure bubble when you keep going in and out of it. Agreed. So yeah, there's no easy answer there either. I mean, these are very difficult times. Uh, moving on to the major upcoming showcase event of uh, Test Cricket is the WTC final happening in a couple of weeks from now. Playing conditions are out. We have a day six. What do you think about that? I think it's a kind of a buffer in case if there is a... It's actually a five-day match. And if there's... Suppose there's no rain, no time lost, then they won't go into the sixth day for the result. One must bear that in mind. It's basically a five-day game. But if large chunks of play are lost for bad light or for uh, rain or whatever, then to enable the possibility of a result, a six-day has been added. It's not a timeless test. Otherwise, you can keep playing. You know, in the old days, they used to have timeless tests. One test match had gone on for 10 days. And then the <laughs> the match only ended because the English team had to take the ship back. Otherwise, they would have had to stay for another month. But uh, <laughs> we don't want to be in that situation. So, I think the playing conditions have been tweaked a little. Yes, to kind of give it a little flavor. Look at it this way. If the match... Suppose two hours of play have been lost on the fourth day and the match is very tantalizingly poised. It needs maybe a team to make 20 runs or another team to get two wickets to win. Then you have the possibility of doing that on the sixth day or something like that. You know, those are the, that's the thought process. Absolutely. The other interesting aspect that's happening is that in the case of a draw or a tie, the trophy will be shared. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, sharing a trophy after doing all of this, going through so many stages and matches, shouldn't there be an outright winner no matter what? (laughs) Yeah, so now this is interesting because, look, this is not limited overs cricket. It's a test match. So in test matches, one of the four results is either you win, you lose, it's a tie or it's a draw. And a draw is a very strong component of test cricket and test cricket history. There have been fantastic matches, heroic matches, where you know matches have been drawn because of the heroism of a team trying to save a match. Sometimes the that draw in itself is a is a result of sorts. You know what I mean? So I think they've kept that. You if you tweak it too much and you make it kisi bhi se, at any cost, I must I must have a result. Then it might. Take the essence of test cricket away. I think that's been the thought process there. So, in the case of a tie, which is amongst the rarest of rare results, or a draw, I think it seems to me fair that the trophy is shared. Because both teams, the two teams that have reached the final, neither has been able to win. So, trophy shared. And given how the teams are shaped up, you know, do you really think a draw is a possibility? You know, I think a lot will depend on the conditions in England at that point in time, in that week. This match is in uh, Southampton and uh, I haven't read the weather forecast so far. But if it is windy, if it's overcast, if the pitch has got a lot of grass on it, we don't know as yet what the conditions are. The match could well end in four days. You know, we've seen that happen in England in the past. Three days also. If conditions are so heavily loaded in favour of bowlers, then the matches can end very, very swiftly in, in England. But if it's a feather bed, if the sun is out, pitch has been very well rolled, the grass has been shaved off, then it could become a batting track and batsmen from both teams will rebel. What I do know is, both teams have got a very fine bowling attacks. New Zealand in England with Tim Southey and Wagner and Kylie Jamieson and Trent Bolt will join. He's not playing in the matches against England. It's a formidable bowling attack and so too India's. I think India have a slight edge in the batting. It's a far more experienced 
and settled batting lineup. But hey, I mean, New Zealand start as underdogs and that will help them because, frankly, if India don't win or if India lose, the setback is for India. And if New Zealand lose, they've still done extremely well to be in the final. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand as underdogs, I'm not sure of that. I think <laughs> the New Zealand team is already there and fairly well acclimatized. Whereas not, not just that, you're right, they're not underdogs. I'll tell you also why. Because the last time we played them, about a year back, they whipped us 2-0 in New Zealand. And conditions in England might be very similar to what, what is obtained in New Zealand, you know, in terms of soft pitches, a lot of seam movement, uh, swing for the bowlers. So, India better watch out. Yeah, I don't think India will be prepared enough uh, on the day of the match. Might just be slightly undercooked, as Ravi Shastri calls them sometimes, or did when he commented. Yes, and, and that is a big concern. You're right, because look what's happening. Tomorrow is the test match between England and New Zealand. They play another test match. Tomorrow is the Lord's test match. Then they have another test match. So, they are actually getting... Their warm-up is two test matches leading into the World Test Championship. While India, the Indian team leaves tomorrow night, on June 2nd night, for England. Then they have 10 days of quarantine in England. So, they will have matches which they play amongst themselves. That is the best practice match that they can have. So, what Ravi is saying, Shastri, is quite right. That they'll be undercooked in terms of preparation, competitive Advantage is with, you know, with New Zealand, not with them. Well, that's just lining up to be one heck of a week of cricket coming up. And while we wait on that, club football in Europe is more or less over. And what a finish we had. Right, Somin? Champions League final, Chelsea triumphs over City. That was quite a win and I think it was an upset. It was. Many people said that Pep Guardiola was overthinking. Now, I doubt he was overthinking, but it was a bit of a different tactical move. Not have a holding midfielder and to put two attacking midfielders in that rather flexible team that they have right there. And even playing Raheem Sterling. Eventually, we all know the result. Kai Havertz just found acres and acres and acres of space on the ground. Ended up taking the ball past Edison and scoring the only goal of the match. But... This was a fast-paced one. You saw opportunities on both sides. You saw a lot of intent, a lot of action. And Thomas Tuchel really capitalised on that mistake. Got one up over Pep Guardiola as seemingly he always seems to do now, Mr. Fantastic. Quite an amazing win. And well, just a few days before that, mm-hmm. Manchester United lost in what can only be defined as no. an epic penalty shooter. I know that hurts <laughs> you more. Uh, but look, David De Gea missing the 11th penalty of the shootout should not be held against him. The poor guy had tried to stop 11 from the other side and mm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, I think he just wanted to see what it felt like to miss one and that was that. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could put it that way. But this match has really created a divide among Manchester United fans. So many of them are saying that it's David De Gea's fault. He should have gone and scored. You should have practiced your penalties. That's what many people say. But the others are saying that it's beyond the point. We should have never gotten to the penalties. We should have finished it off in 90 minutes. And when you consider that United are second in the Premier League and Villarreal are seventh in, let's be honest, a slightly less competitive La Liga, one would have expected that to happen. But as a United fan, I can always say, you never know which United is going to turn up. And on that day, it was not the, the winners that we usually tend to see. So yeah, and a very scrappy match in the end as well. I doubt that it was David De Gea's fault. What more can the poor man do, seriously? Yes, yeah. well, despite Alex Ferguson's presence, Manchester exactly. United lose. Well, uh, Ayaz, it's also great to have a lot of international football coming up in the next couple of months. Are you looking forward to the Euro 2021, which is supposed to be 2020, but it's happening now? I'm looking forward to all sport that is going to be played because we've had such a terrible time 
uh, in the last 15 months in our everyday lives. And of course, even, you know, the sports world was badly hit. But I must actually pay credit to sports bodies across the world. I mean, we know how hard the International Olympic Committee is straining and trying very hard to make sure that the Olympics are held this year. So, so to the football authorities, both running leagues as well as, you know, FIFA, the cricket boards independently and also the ICC. And I think if the effort was not made to somehow ensure that some sport continues, uh, if everybody had kind of taken a position that, hey, what can we do? We've been dealt this uh, death blow by the pandemic and there's nothing that can be done about it. And everything had been locked up for 15 months. There would have been no sport. The momentum to start anything at all would have been lost completely. So I think this is a great thing that has happened in sports. And I'm really looking forward to not just the football tournaments resuming, but also the fans coming back. Now, this is a loaded situation. This has a threat factor attached to it that when fans come to the stadium, then there is you're multiplying or you're enhancing the risk. And the management of that risk is going to become extremely important, not just for the organizers, but for the fans themselves. Because what you don't want, certainly, is for sport to go back to March 2020 when everything had come to a standstill. Absolutely. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but speaking of the Euros 2021, it's going to be played across 12 venues. And that's that's truly making it a pan-European tournament. And while this may make sense to reduce travel and try and retain a bubble situation for as long as possible, there are some groups to definitely watch out for. Group D, which features England, Croatia, Scotland and Czech Republic is one such. Group E with Spain, Sweden, Poland and Slovakia is another. But to me, and feel free to chip in here, Swamil, Group F is what I'll call the group of death. You know, Hungary, Portugal, France and Germany. I mean, wow. You might as well have the semi-finals play between these four. Yeah, 100%. There's no doubt about it. It's aptly named, right? Because in the modern day of the internet, the word, it's not a word, the alphabet F has been used to justify like the end. So press F to pay respects. That's a video game meme, that one. But that is it. Group F, yeah. I, I can really imagine some proper clutch fights between Portugal and France and then Germany as well. And I can't pick who, which one of them is going to drop out. It's just going to be which one of them is the most present in the moment. What sort of performance can they give at that point of time? Because on paper, it seems really hard to choose between any of them. Well, thankfully, four teams uh, that are placed third in their respective groups will make it. So it's important for these teams to make sure that when they do win and not uh, just fight for a draw for that straight point, because every point or even goal difference will finally come into the picture. Really looking forward to this kicking off for some really good international football. And it's not just in Europe. There's Copa America starting in a couple of weeks as well. And we've got some fairly big names in action there as well. We've got Vargas playing for Chile, Cavani and Suarez for Uruguay, uh, Neymar Jr. for Brazil, and we've got Messi representing Argentina. And there's been some controversy happening in South America as well. Well, not so much controversy as necessity, if I may call it. Now, the tournament was scheduled to be held in Argentina, but two weeks prior to kickoff, it's now been moved to Brazil due to the threat of COVID. So, I guess this is exactly what you were saying, you know, uh, where how increasing the fan presence or increasing the number of people getting involved could actually put an event in, in danger. Oh, absolutely. And remember, Brazil has been through a terrible second wave, much like India. So, sentiment is very strong against having such, a, you know, such events which will increase the threat of, uh, I mean, ultimately it's people's lives. And sporting events by nature tend to become 
it's very celebratory. People get very emotionally attached and they forget the threat perception. That's where the danger lies. So we saw that, for instance, in the one-day match between England and India, which was played earlier. And, the, you know, when the fans came and all the social distancing and everything else was hit for a six. And then, of course, we had, then they become super spreader, these events. So that's something that you need to avoid. You're absolutely right. Thanks, Ayaz, for that. Hey, Somil, before we move out, do you want to have a quick take on the Azerbaijan GP schedule for uh, the 6th of June? Mm-hmm. And especially after what we saw in the last race, uh, Hamilton not winning. What are your thoughts on the upcoming race? Oh, it's going to be fun. It is going to be interesting. And that's the word I love to use when I really have no clue about what's going to happen in the race. There's going to be, there's going to be lots of controversy over flexi wings. And as a fan who's not so deep into Formula 1, you might wonder, what are these flexi wings all about? But it's basically just front wings and rear wings of the car that bend quite a lot. And they have caused some sort of problems these days. Because Red Bull seemingly are exploiting it. Their wings are moving far too much than they should be moving. And Mercedes are having questions. They're telling to the governing body, the FIA. They're saying, man, this is not allowed. This is illegal because this is giving them some sort of a special advantage on the straights and in the corners. And so that is going to be a major talking point this weekend at Baku, where the front stretch is is as long as what? As long as the parliamentary road here in New Delhi. It's huge. It's insanely long. And that sort of thing could benefit Red Bull, especially when they've got their new Honda power units from this season, which seem to be over-delivering, it's going to be frantic and expect many big crashes because there's this one lovely castle section at Baku where the cars literally, I kid you not, go past uphill through a castle. It's it's insane. You only have to see it to believe it. And many, many big drivers like Charles Leclerc have crashed there. And who knows which way the race is going to go. That's the fun part. When you come to oil-rich countries, you normally expect dull racing circuits that are bland, that are drab. Herman Tilke drones, what many people like to call them. But Baku is something else. Baku is just a layer of excitement. And just the hope of seeing a good race here gets everyone on the edge of their seats. Well, let's look forward to a very exciting race. And another no Hamilton win is what I'm going for. Mm. I, <laughs> I think I wouldn't bet against you this time, Mr. Fantastic. Momentum isn't on his side. He said that, oh, we've got our big learnings. But come on, can you stop Max Verstappen right now? Can you stop in the in the form that he is? I wouldn't bet against him. He's a raging Red Bull. Yeah, and I also think there is a bit of trouble in paradise on the Mercedes front. Mm. Which I think we'll start getting exposed more and more through the season. There we have, uh, we have we've got a polarized uh, point of view on the F1 here between Somil and Aditya as to who's going to win <laughs> this one coming up in Baku. But but as always, I mean, look, I think that's the essence of sport, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you've got, if you have a clear front runner in every match, every race, then, I mean, it's great. You acknowledge that person as a champion, but it takes away a little bit from the spirit or the, the excitement of competition. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. Mr. Fantastic and Somil, uh, I'll sign off here. Thanks a lot for being on the show. We're going to catch up again next week, as we know. Uh, every week we do that. We'll have an update on the French Open with and with uh, without uh, Naomi Osaka, unfortunately. But the tournament will have progressed by a week. We've got uh, a lots, lots and lots of football coming up. We'll have obviously the result of the Azerbaijan GP, and then of course there'll be loads of cricket. England versus New Zealand. The Indian team there. The practice sessions beginning, and uh, what holds for India in the World Test Championship that will come. So that's all for me. I ask Memon at Sports Weekly. We'll catch up again next week at the same time.